How's it going, everybody? Awesome, awesome. Children, fifth grade and under, we're so grateful that you spent some time with us today, but go ahead and head on downstairs to Clubhouse. You guys can be a little bit louder than that. <laughs> Future of the church right there, right? Let's go. Awesome, guys. Well, well good evening. Uh, my name is Graham Jones. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm one of the many Collide leaders here at MCC, and uh, today is a special weekend for us, or this weekend is a special weekend for us because it's the first time that our family is a party of four here at church. We welcomed our son, Shepherd Graham, into the world on the 14th. Yeah. He's pretty good looking. I'm a little biased, but, but yeah, but I'm just so grateful uh, to be back. We did the online church thing for a little bit, and, and while it's great, it's just so awesome to be back and see people's faces. But we have a couple special people watching. I uh, just wanted to give a shout out to my family. Uh, they're all the way in Oklahoma watching me. So hello, everybody. Uh, we're just <laughs> so. But so this, uh, this past weekend, the teaching, the series of Make It Matter has been nothing short of amazing, right? Yeah. It's been nothing short of amazing, right? Yeah. There we go. It's a youth event. You're supposed to be loud. So, so yesterday in session one, Adam Weaver, um, he, he broke down the, the story of who? Big Mo. Big Mo. Big Mo. Yeah, how Moses, how, how he, he came out of slavery and through the, bra- the bravery that God gave him, he was able to complete more um, than he ever thought he'd be able to do. Session two, our buddy Chris talked about that Jesus is our, is our spotter, right? That he's got our back, that he, he does the heavy lifting for us. And in, and in session three, our buddy uh, Jake Yule right here, he, um, he brought the word saying that, that we need to be good friends and that, that Christ needs to be the center of our friendships and that, that we need to reciprocate that love that he gives to us. So this evening, we're going to be looking at how we can trust the Lord. I know that that can be a little bit of a heavy topic sometimes, but at the same time that we can trust the Lord not only because who he is, but because of what he's done and what he continues to do. So before we get started, I'd love it if you all join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for, we thank you for this day. God, we're, we're so grateful that, that we could get out of our houses today and, and be, part of a, be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. God, I pray that the next 25 minutes or so, Lord, that we can just dive into your word, see how present you are in our lives, and uh, just leave here stronger than ever before. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. So, the, so we're, we're currently walking through the God Defined series, and this week we move to the tenacity of God. So some of you might be thinking, what exactly, what exactly is tenacity? I've kind of heard that before, but I don't exactly know. And for the definition this week, we're going to be looking into scripture to see exactly what it means. Romans 8.38 is a perfect example of it. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love that God, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I encourage you to uh, grab your pens, grab your highlighters, open your Bibles up, get your Make It Matter notebooks out. Uh, Adults, if you don't have that, then um, we have the outline supplied for you as well. So this so this week, we're going to be looking at the, the tenacity of God, and we're also going to be looking at things from not from a worldly perspective, but, but from things that I like to call 
uh, a kingdom mentality. A kingdom mentality is keeping Christ at the forefront of your minds, discerning everything he has for us every single day and not acting on our flesh. Sounds pretty accomplishable, right? It sounds tough. That's what it is. It's tough. It's supposed to be tough. But so we're going to be breaking that down and we're going to be seeing how God's tenacity lives through us both now and in the future as we continue our walk as Christians. We're going to be primarily out of Luke chapter 15 and Acts 7 and 8. Both of these, chap- both of these uh, books of the Bible are in the New Testament pretty early on in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So your first five books in the New Testament. So turn about three quarters of the way in your Bibles and you'll see that ready for you. So, so students, out of all the qualities we've discovered about God and, and the reasons to trust him, this is perhaps the most important of them all, that he loves us with an everlasting love, and he has and will do anything to grant us the opportunity to live in that love. There's nothing we can do to earn it. He just grants us that opportunity. Now, if you have a skewed view of love, maybe a a worldly view of love, that maybe you haven't seen God through that love, then it might be a little for you to, might be a little tough for you to understand, but, but that's where we begin tonight. Through God's tenacity, he establishes trust. Through God's tenacity, he establishes trust. Okay, so who has a friend? It's not rhetorical. I think everybody has a friend. Well, the good old Facebook, which Dave loves, um, says that I have 835 of them. That's That's a little steep. But I'm not talking about that kind of friend. I'm talking about the type of friend that you know, is there for you in all circumstances, that type of friend that you trust your children with, the type of friend that you could tell them anything about. So what I want you to do is I want you to think back on the time that you first met that person. I want you to think about the very first encounter you had with that person, and most likely, you don't act the way you do now with them when you did then, right? You were, a little, you were a little nervous at first, maybe like, okay, how's it going? You know, I'm new here, just checking stuff out, testing the waters. So trusting, trusting someone doesn't come on the spot, right? That person, they have to prove themselves or uh, herself or himself or herself to be true to their word. There's always that first time that you take them up on their word. And if they, if they burn you, then you might have a little bit harder of a time. But what I'm here to tell you today is that God can always be trusted in all circumstances. God is truly tenacious. And we we read about that in Romans. We, We saw the tenaciousness of God. So in Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares with us and the people around him three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, which is also known as the parable of the prodigal son. Who knows what a parable is? All right, Eli, what is it? A tale, a story, a, you know, an illustration. You see, a parable is simply a story used to illustrate an important learning topic or spiritual lesson. What Jesus does here in the parables is that he builds from the ground up in an illustration of God's tenacity through these three examples. Looking at a, at a uh, biblical perspective, a sheep back in the day was worth more than a coin. And so you're going a sheep, a coin, and then what's more important than a coin? A person, right? Prodigal son. So stopping, starting at the bottom of the food chain, we're going to be looking at the parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost sheep is found in Luke 15, 4 through 7. 
That's going to be supplied for you, but you can also follow along in your Bibles as we read. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the field and go after the lost sheep until it's found? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You see, God looks for us, and when he finds us, he joyfully brings us home. Looking at this parable, we see a, a, a few things right off, the, right off the bat. First, we see that the, the sheep is a, he's a straight-up rascal, right? He's, a, he's, he's, just, he's just, you know, just being a turd, right? <laughs> he's just running right off. You, gotta, you have to say it like that. And then we also get a sense that the shepherd knows that the sheep is, are going to run off. So even though the shepherd knows that the sheep are going to cause him trouble, he's still dedicated to his flock. As we identify God as the shepherd and us as the sheep in this parable, we see how tenacious God truly is. We see a sheep that's lost, a sheep that's run off. So how does this reinforce God's tenacity by establishing trust? We see that God has value on us. He places value on us. Just as a shepherd cares for his flock, God cares for his people. He has equity in us. He created us. He freed us. He gave us the freedom and opportunity to choose whether we're going to follow him or not. And he gave us the perfect example of how to live. And who is that? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, you guys are listening. Good job. So God cares for his people. He has equity in us. And when we don't live like him and, and we choose to live like hell and, try, and choose to live like the ways of the world, he still chooses us. God looks for us when, we have, when we've been lost and he finds us. He picks us up, dusts us off, puts us around his shoulders and carries us home. So let me ask you a question. Who would you trust? Would you trust the friend that didn't even look for you in the first place? The one that maybe you try to invest time in, but maybe they don't put that time in themselves? Do you trust the friend that finds you, but kicks you and tells you that you're an idiot and that you need to get home and not do it again? Or are you going to trust the friend that's going to come find you, walk next to you, maybe if you've been hurt, or maybe even carry you like the shepherd did? You see, this is how God demonstrated his love for us and, and so that we know we can trust him. So going from the bottom of the food chain, going up to the second parable now, which is the, the parable of the lost coin, Jesus shares, with us, shares us this. He gives us this. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully for it until she finds it? And then when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you that there's rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see, God will turn over heaven and hell to reclaim us. In this parable, we read of the account of a lost coin. The woman notices that the coin was missing, and she, she begins to search for it. She begins to turn over her rugs. She begins to you know, look in the pant pockets of the couple the days past. I know for a lot of us guys, we only wear one pair of pants a week, right? 
<laughs> because we like how they stretch and they, they get too tight when, they, when you wash them, right? That's, that's how it is for me. I'm a little bit of a bigger guy. But <laughs> you see, the facts are there. Once again, he created you. He gave you that free will. And he's shown you how to live a life just like the sheep where, 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 where we were cared for, fed, watered, and so that we can truly meet our full potential. You see, just like the sheep, some of us have walked away and we're currently lost. You may even look at yourself as just another coin that, kicked un- that got kicked under the, corner, the, the counter of the store or maybe fell out of someone's pocket headed to their car in the parking lot. Let me tell you, friends, that, that God does not see you that way at all, at all. God's love for you is so tenacious that he will kick over every couch and he'll search every lot. He'll go to the dirtiest places until he finds you. He'll even go to the, the Scottsburg Walmart to find you. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Rev. <laughs> so just like the shepherd picked up that stinky and dirty sheep, he's going to pick you up in a way that would seem like you're the MVP of the world. Because simply, you are to him. He's going to pick you up with excitement, with compassion, with ownership. Not only is he excited to have found you, but he's going to shout from the rooftop and he's going to tell the neighbors. I want you to, I want you to look at something here on this parable of the lost coin. Why, why would the lady that is, that is the protagonist here go to the neighbor unless she had already gone to the neighbor voicing concern? After in context that she found the coin. You see, if, we, if you feel like you're a lost sheep or a lost coin, God knows that you're missing. God knows that you're missing. God is searching for you. God has notified surrounding people to, to come and to look for you as well. God has gone to the ultimate place to claim you as his own, which is the cross. When the coin or the sheep is found by the woman or the shepherd, then they rejoice. You see, just think of what celebrations happen when a lost soul is claimed and when when someone reunites themselves with their original owner, the Lord. You see, Jesus came for the lost. He came for the lost sheep of Israel. He came for what mattered most to him. He didn't come for your nice car. He didn't come for your Mercedes or anything like that. He came for what truly mattered. He came for you. He turned over heaven and hell for you. He lived like we had to live as a lost coin, except he wasn't lost at all. He knew exactly what he was there for. He knew his purpose because he was one with the Father. He was overlooked. He was often run off. He was lied about. He was rejected by his own people, people who he could trust, people that he grew up around. He did all that to find you. That's tenacity and a perfect example of it. I hope that, I hope that you're beginning to understand. I'm kind of getting a couple blank faces. Do we go live out there? <laughs> there we go. Awesome. So in verse 11 of Luke 15, Jesus brings us to the climax of the parables, and we call it the story of the prodigal son. That's found in Luke 15, 11 through 31. Now, for time constraints, I'm not going to read all 20 verses, but we're going we're gonna to walk through it so you guys can still follow along and you'll, and you'll see where we're going with this. 
So the story of the prodigal son begins with a man who has two sons. The younger son asks his father for his portion of the family estate as an early inheritance. Once the son receives the inheritance, he promptly sets off on a long journey to a distant land and begins to waste his fortune on wild living. When the money runs out, a severe famine hits the country that he's living in, and the son finds himself in really hard circumstances. You see, he takes a job feeding pigs. Eventually, he becomes so poor that he longs to eat the food that the pigs were eating. The young man finally comes to his senses, remembering his father at home where he had it so good. In humility, he recognizes his foolishness. He returns to his father and asks for forgiveness and mercy. The father, who has been watching and waiting, receives his son back with open arms, with the open arms of compassion. And he's simply overjoyed by the return of his lost son. Through, this first beginning, through the beginning of this uh, parable, we see that God demonstrates his tenacity in the wait. You see, while in the first two parables that we, that we just read, we see the shepherd and the owner of the coin searching for the lost sheep and the lost coin, but here we see the father waiting for his son to return. Here we see the reality of our free will. We're not property like the coin or the sheep. We have the option of accepting the Father's love for care, or we can say no. He gives us that free will to say yes or no. You see, he's not pushy. He doesn't have secondary motives. We can trust him. His motives are always good. He, he is always there, and he's always steady. He doesn't change. Once again, we can, we can trust him. He always keeps his promises, even though when we break ours. That's, that can be spoken or unspoken promises like, oh God, I'm not going to do that again. God, I'm, I'm going to stay away from that. I'm not going to hang out with those certain people anymore. Maybe you had something happen in your life and you realize just how challenging that is. Maybe you trusted a friend with something and maybe they burned you for it. Maybe they weren't all they cracked up to be. But maybe that burn was years ago and you're still hanging on to those ripple effects. You see, God waits for us to turn to him and when we do, he restores us. The father waits, but I can guarantee that he's watching every morning and every night. I, can, I, I, I get this picture of the father sitting out on one of those old rocking chairs that are out in crack, at Cracker Barrel. You guys know what I'm talking about? And he's just, and he's just waiting. Like he's, he's assumed that position, that post for so long. He spends a majority of his time out there just waiting, looking at the distance to see if his son's right around the corner. You see, had the son called for him, that, that father would have dropped everything and, and gone to his son. But he's left to wait. He's left to wait for his son. Waiting, waiting's tough, right? Right? Yeah, it's, it's tough. Waiting takes so much, waiting takes as much tenacity as it takes pursuing. Maybe right now you're thinking about your own children, how long you waited for them, or if you still are waiting for them to come to their senses and turn home and come back to you. When the father sees his son on the horizon heading home, the father runs to the son, and the son begins to weep, falling on his face. The father embraces him, 
quiets him by calling for his servants to prepare a feast and to announce that his son had returned. You see, we, we have the good redemptive side of this story, but there's another side of the story as well. The scripture continues to tell us that, that, the, that meanwhile, the older son boils in anger when he comes in from working the fields to discover that a party had started and dancing and music were there to celebrate the younger brother's return who had taken the inheritance early and bounced out. The father tries to persuade the older son and keep him away, deter him from his rage by simply saying, you've, you've always been with me and, and everything I have here is yours. One, he was showing the loyalty that he had displayed to his older son, but also at the same time, the younger son had already gotten his inheritance, that literally everything on this property was the property of the older son when the father passed away. So let's look at it this way. Maybe you're not the prodigal son, but, but maybe you're the older son. You're the son who's remained home, You've done all the right things. You've honored your relationships with your relationship with God, but all the while you've been making comparisons. All the while you've been working for the Father's approval when he already loves you anyway. God restores us at his own personal cost. The father, when, when the father saw the son and embraced him, he called for a robe to be placed around the son and a ring to be placed upon his finger to signify that his lost son was home and that he had been reunited with the family. We must know that restoring, we must know that, that restoring us and bringing us home was not free at all. It took the ultimate sacrifice for us to be brought home. It wasn't a phone call from a loved one on Christmas, on Christmas Eve saying, hey, we'd love it if you came. We miss you. We haven't seen you in so long. It was a sinless man named Jesus who paid the price for us on that cross. Amen? Amen. We see this ring true in the scriptures. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I, I want you to see this, that, that he died for us even though we wandered away from the flock. He died for us even though we feel like, like we were swept up and forgotten. He died for us even though we were as far away as the prodigal son was. While we were away from him, God stayed devoted to us at his own personal cost, the cost of his son Jesus. Though we were all sinners, Christ still died for us. Let that sink in. When we come to our senses just as the son did in the prodigal story, we return home. We return home to the father with, his, with the open arms of the father, and the only thing that he'll do is love you. That's God's love for us. That's, that's God's tenacity. So we're, we're going to switch gears here a little bit. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 7 as we look briefly at the life of a man who turned back to the Father, knew he was loved, and devoted his life to the mission. In Acts 7.48, we're introduced to Stephen. So you guys can go ahead and turn with me to Acts 7. So by the time that we meet Stephen here, 
He's, he's done quite a few things. He sold himself out to the Lord. God has rescued him from the situation that he was in. And Stephen accepted that he could truly trust the Lord. He's a Christ follower, and there's evidence that Christ is living inside of him. The fruit of his life is demonstrating this reality. Through this brief account of Stephen, we can identify that God will tenaciously use any and all means necessary to see his kingdom advance. God will use all God will use means necessary to see lives transformed. Above all, he loves to use those transformed lives. You see, God does everything for a purpose. Why would he transform a life and not use it? It's, it's almost the equivalent of, you know, studying day and night for a, for a test and, you know, getting that, getting that paper and, and then just deciding to doodle on it and turn it in. It'd be a waste of time, right? You see, God does everything for a purpose. It would, it would simply be a waste of time if he, if he didn't do anything with us. Okay, so who has a smartphone? Right? The smartphone can be used for a lot of things, good and bad. On the other hand, you can, you can look at things that maybe you shouldn't. You can buy things on it that maybe you don't have the money for. You can even be a jaded person to yourself through that device, through social media. You know, persuading people that you're one way when you're actually not. But let's look at it from a different perspective. Let's look at it from a kingdom mentality perspective. You see, if God can take the concept of a cell phone that was given all the way back to Dr. Martin Cooper, the inventor of the modular phone, and take that idea, continually refine it until it becomes a smartphone, and allow the Bible to be put on it as a mobile app in over 60 different languages, and it can read audibly to you for people who cannot read themselves. Isn't that amazing? That, that maybe, maybe, the, maybe the phone wasn't intended to do that, but you see God in his tenacity had the desire for that to be a version of that phone or he had, a, he had a, a version of that continuing on into the future. So, so, so why, why Stephen? So here's Stephen. He's been, he's been chosen by God to you know, serve in the church, and he's doing all these great things. He finds himself arrested for his faith. He's brought before the governing officials and councils and, and standing before them and what's a hostile crowd he not only describes his own trust in God and God's redemptive story in his life, but God's redemptive plan from the very beginning. When we find Stephen in Acts 7.54, he's about to be stoned as the first martyr of the Christian church, the first person to be killed for his faith. Acts 7.54 through 60 says this. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, Sanhedrin is the governing officials, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But when Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to, the he to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, he said, look, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we're very familiar with. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
He fell on his knees, cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved the killing of them. So through this account of Stephen, we see God's transformative power. Through this account, we can see and validate that God's tenacious spirit lives inside of us and those who claim themselves as transformed, as Christians. You see, God gives us his tenacity. God's tenacity transforms us. We can say no to us and yes to him. This is the exact idea of a kingdom mentality, keeping him at the forefront of our minds. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Galatians 2.20. He says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's powerful, isn't it? The tenaciousness of God living inside of a human being, a man, a woman, any person, just like you and me, who willingly surrenders himself to Christ, is so powerful. God's tenacious spirit is living inside of you. And just as God's tenaciousness transforms us, he uses our transformation in the lives of others. Some of you have heard, make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, right? Right, this is exactly what we're talking about. And just as God tenaciously transforms us, we see this happen in the lives of the people that are directly around Stephen. Look with me in chapter 8, verse 1 real quick. Stephen's martyred for his faith, and now we see that through God's tenacity, lives are changed. From the very beginning, Stephen was not accepted for what he was doing. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? From the very beginning, Jesus was not accepted for what he was doing. The people didn't want to have another Jesus on the earth. And not saying that Stephen was the equivalent of Jesus whatsoever, but that's why they stoned Stephen, because they were, they were, they were fed up with all this. In verse 1 of chapter 8, we read, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Jumping to verse 4, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And if I could add, to, add on to that, it would say, Because they were transformed by God. You see, even though people were after their heads, they made it matter. Stephen's life mattered. Stephen's witness to the tenacity of God mattered. The tenacity of Stephen, even though he was killed, lived through the Christians who had been scattered and the apostles who stayed put in Jerusalem. You see, God will use all things God will use any and all means necessary to see his kingdom advance. He lives to see lives transformed. God's tenacious spirit is living inside of you, and through God's tenacity, lives are changed. Lives are changed by those people who have been transformed, living out their purpose. You see, God God will use you Students, God will use you. Adults and parents, God will use you. Single people, God will use you. Grandparents, God will use you. You get where I'm going with this. The fact is that we still have breath in our lungs so that our purpose is still there. As a people who call ourselves Christ followers, the least that we could do is dedicate our life to the mission of God. 
to the mission and tenacity of the Lord Jesus. Having the tenacity of God living inside of you means laying our desires and dreams at his feet and asking him to truly change us from the inside out. You see, only he can do that. No person can do that besides Jesus. We can't change ourselves without him, without his tenacity. God's tenacity matters in your life. So whether you see yourself as a lost sheep that's wandered off from the flock, a coin that's sitting in the Walmart parking lot right now, or a lost man or woman doesn't change the reality that God loves you and that God has made the first move to bring you home to a relationship with him and be part of his church. The, right now is your, is your chance and your opportunity to respond to God's tenacity. As we enter into a time of worship, I'm going to ask that David stands over here at the cross and that, that Pastor Dave stands over here in front of the, the drum cage. But if you feel that the Lord is, is making a move for your heart and you feel that, that, that it's a time as this to do, to do what you're called to do and, and do what you, you, know, you were created to do, then come talk to one of us. Come talk to somebody. Have someone pray for you. You know, students, we've been going through the Make It Matter, right? So this could also be a time where if someone's been laid on your heart, maybe that friend that burned you, maybe, maybe you write their name on a, on a ping pong ball so that you can pray for them. God's tenacity lives inside of you. We have the choice to accept it or to not. But when we accept it, we see that transformation and it fully live out its course in our life. Will you guys pray with me? God, you, God you're, so, you're so great, God. Thank you, for, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the model that he gives us to live a tenacious lifestyle, Father. I pray that, that we don't live a single day without you. I pray that from the morning that we wake up to the time that we go to bed, God, that you are at the front of our minds. God, that we don't make a decision without consulting you first. God, that we can lead our families. God, that we can be part of our families with you on our hearts, Lord. I pray that, that you continue to work. You're always gonna work until you come back, Father. God, we pray that, that we can just respond to you, God. I pray that if there's anybody that's on the fence right now, that they step out in a tenacious spirit and they see who you truly are. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. You guys can stand.